Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now. Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go black black to the the beginning. beginning. Welcome back, everyone. We are going black to the beginning. We are sitting here tonight with a goddess, with a healer, with a woman who was selected, not expected. And we are ready to hear her story. We are ready to get into this thing. But before we do so, as customary, I'm Dr. Sam. And I am Sandria. And we are ready for this tonight. Miss Wendy Cherry, talk to us. Take us Black to the beginning. Start with where did your Black adoption experience begin? Okay, so thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My story began in New Jersey. And as a little child, my mom told me I was special. So she said that I was selected and not expected, even though I didn't come from her belly, that she picked me, my parents picked me. Even naming me, my mom's Gwendolyn, I'm Wendy. My dad's middle name was Denny, I'm Denise. So I knew I was special. They adopted another sister. We were just told we were special. We grew up in loving families, um, extended family. Our grandparents helped raise us. Our aunts and uncles helped to raise us. And so I was good. Like I didn't really think anything about it. And I always knew that I was adopted and that I could find my family if I wanted to. And I just needed to wait to be 18. So I, I was told as soon as I could think and reason what the deal was and that, you know, I could find them when I turned 18. And so that's how it all started. So it sounds like it was pretty normalized within your family. There was a lot of support there for you. And you felt regardless of this status Mm -hmm. that it was a community of love. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is some of the little kids that I grew up with they used to be like, y'all are, y'all are foster kids. And me and my sister would be like, we are not, like, we knew who we were. You know what I'm saying? Like, and who, what's wrong with being a foster child? Like, there's nothing wrong with that either. But because the, the kids that we grew up with didn't understand adoption versus, they were like, y'all mom just getting money for you. Like, who are these little kids saying these crazy things, you know? But that's, their, that's what their experiences were. So it was pretty idyllic for us. You know, we didn't know um, grown folks business pretty much. So we just thought everything was cool. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that experience. You're bringing up something interesting as well. (laughs) Kids can be so cruel, Mm -hmm. but kids also get their knowledge Mm -hmm. from other adults right where where did they hear that at you get money they get money for you like where did they hear it i have no idea but i just remember hearing it and being like whatever like i i knew i was loved like i'm selected not expected what y'all talking about you know (laughs) didn't even think about it 
did you ever talk to your mom about children saying those things to you? Like, how did she step in to really kind of like reinforce that? Well, she didn't have to because that was, she just reinforced her love every day. So I, we, I don't even think I told her. She probably, I wrote a book about it later. And so I said that in the book and maybe that's when she, the first time she knew about it, but I, I didn't say anything to her about it. The other thing is my mom was a social worker for 30 plus years. So she did um, stuff with foster kids. She worked with foster kids. So I also kind of just knew what it was like um, for foster children based on what my mom's stories were sometimes when she would come home as a social worker, as a black social worker, as the first black social worker supervisor in her division and some of the problems that caused. So it was not a problem for, for me and, and my self-esteem at all. So I know you mentioned that you would be able to search for your family if you chose to once you Correct. turned 18. Did mm -hmm. you have a desire prior to 18 to, to learn more about your birth family? Well, I always wanted to know because I didn't look like anybody. So I, my, my parents are brown and my adopted sister is brown. And so here I am with this light skin. And then in the summer, my hair would get all, um, you know, color, like red little highlights. And I had just these features that didn't match anybody's. So I always wanted to know. So I made up the story because my mom said my birth mother had me and she couldn't take care of me. So she gave me up for adoption. So I always pictured like a, a older lady who just had a baby who she couldn't keep. That was like, you know, the story you tell yourself as a kid, but I didn't really push anything because I always knew 18 was coming. And I actually on my 18th birthday wrote my letter to the adoption agency. So it was just a matter of time. So I just didn't push it. Sometimes I would look in the store and if I saw somebody who I thought looked like me, I might say, I wonder if that's my mom, you know, but you know, that was it. So during this period of time, because it sounds like your self-esteem was fully intact, that you were super secure in, in who you were, were there ever moments prior to turning 18 where you began to question your identity? You began to question like, where do I fit? How do I belong in this family? Even though you felt so much love. Absolutely. So that's interesting. And I have come to understand that more even studying myself. You know, I've studied myself for many years to try to understand why I behave the way I behave and feel the way I feel. And so I realized that as a little kid, I also was a people pleaser. And I feared rejection. And I, and I know all human beings do, but I felt I feared rejection. And I always wanted to be like down, like with, with the clique. Whoever the clique was, whoever I thought the clique was, I wanted to be down with them. But I always wasn't accepted. And a lot of times people be like, Winnie Cherry thinks she cute. Like I got that all the time, you know? And so that was painful. So I went on this whole people pleasing uh, for many years. I probably didn't even stop doing that until 10 years ago. But I, I came to understand that 
a lot of times adoptees felt the rejection in their mother's womb. They felt that energy of rejection. If you were adopted and you sat in a mother's womb who she wasn't sure what was gonna happen, she probably didn't wanna be in this situation, stress, fear, anxiety, all those things are imprinted epigenetically into this baby, into the womb. And so when you're adopted and you're not raised by your biological mother, like you have her circadian rhythms, you know her moods, you know what she ate, you know what she listened to, all those things are imprinted onto you. So even if you come out and you go to the best family, which I did, you're still imprinted with your biological mother and all of her emotions and things for good or for bad. So if your mom was, was dancing through the lilies and having a good old time, if she was a drug addict, if she was just not happy you were there or maybe happy you were there, but not happy with her situation, you were still imprinted with those things. So rejection is one of those things that a lot of adoptees that I have talked to have experienced. How did your family, I guess, work with that with you? Or were they even aware that you had these feelings or tendencies to always no. want to please? No, I didn't even really recognize it in myself until it became detrimental in my relationships, specifically in romantic relationships. So this is just because I've been you know, trying to figure out myself. I have a book called From Jersey to Me, The Awakening and Healing of a Goddess, because I was like, why am, why am I acting like this? Why am I feeling like this? Why do these things keep happening to me? And when I realized that I have a lot of part in why these things are happening to me, I did some digging from a mind, body, spirit, and integrative perspective, some digging in, internally. And those are some of the things that I came up with and identified as actual things that happen. And so I was able to look at myself from a different lens. It's the nature versus nurture kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you get to the age of 18, mm -hmm. you make the decision, mm -hmm. I'm going to go and look for my birth family. Take us through that. So I just wrote the letter on my birthday, my 18th birthday, October 26th, I wrote the letter to the adoption agency in New Jersey. And then by October 31st, I got the first sheet of paper with the non-identifying information. And so I remember when it came in the mail, I got the mail at my house, my mom wasn't home yet. And I remember being in her room, kneeling by the side of her bed, opening up this and reading like, your birth parents were a, attractive people. They were 5'10 or whatever, all these different things that kind of tell you, but don't tell you, you know, who they are. And, um, and it said that I had the, the, most, the most impactful thing was it said that I had another sister who was put up for adoption a year before me. I never knew that. I thought I was the only one. So I was so excited. I'm like, I have a sister and she was put up for adoption too. So I went on a journey to find her. I wanted to know who she was. And the other thing was I found out that my birth parents were still married when they put me up for adoption. So that was pretty shocking, you know? So there, uh, there went out the window, this old lady who had me, who couldn't take care of me. I was just like, well, my fantasy's blown. 
my parents are still together and it made me want to know even more why they didn't keep me. So from October till maybe February, I went on a search. So I went on a search, meaning I reached back out to the adoption agency to ask if they had any information on my sister. Had she gone through the same adoption agency? Thank God she had. And they reached out to her. So they had to send her a letter to say her, her biological sister was looking for her and could they give the contact information? And so this was in February to March of 1989. So she said, yeah, she was a college student at a HBCU in North Carolina. And apparently she had already started wanting to search. So she welcomed this. So they called and they said, your sister is down to meet you. We gave her your, so they had to give her my phone number. And then they say, you know, we wasn't texting and none of this. You got to sit by the phone. Yeah, you got to wait for the call to come in. You know, like, when is she calling? So I remember when she called. And so my boyfriend at the time, I'm a senior in high school, you know, at this time, right? I'm class 89, right? So I'm sitting there. And he's, my boyfriend at the time was sitting across from me and we're just like, she's about to call. So she called and it was my voice. Mm. We have what we, people have said, I got a deep voice. My sister said, we have sultry voices. So we had this voice. about to say sultry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have these sultry voices. And so she said, hello, and it was me. And I'm like, <gasps> you know, and so, when I was born, I was given a name. Apparently the nurses named me, Tisha Renee. And so I said, I'm Wendy. And she said, but who's Tisha Renee? And I said, oh, that was my biological name, my birth name. And so she wasn't given a name, but we went on to talk about everything. We wore glasses. What do we look like? Cause you know, there was no like shooting a selfie right quick. You know, you had to like send pictures in the mail and patiently wait by the mailbox for the pictures to be exchanged. She talked to my boyfriend and he was like, oh my gosh, she sounds just like you. Like, <laughs> um, do you have cramps? Yes. Now, now it just so happens that I'm shorter than her. She's like 5'10", five, 5'9", five, maybe, and I'm 5'5". Five, five. So I'm not tall like her, but we had a lot of similarities. And so we talked and we plan to get together. So we first get together. She, she sends pictures. So now I'm showing off like this, my sister, we look just alike. You know, I was so excited to see somebody who looked like me. So excited. So we plan to get together during her spring break from college. So she comes, I go pick her up from the train station and I am hyped. So I'm going to pick her up and I'm driving. I see her standing there and I, I kind of like stared at her first to kind of like, so she couldn't see me because she didn't know my car. So I'm like looking a little bit like, ooh, that's my sister. And she's older because in my family, I was the older sister. I always wanted an older sister. So I'm like, that's my big sister. And then she was cute and she was, you know, <laughs> dressed up and she was cool, you know. So I got her in the car and I was just like, ooh. So we probably were looking at each other side eye because I'm driving like trying to keep looking at each other, you know. So I get her home and my mom is like, oh my gosh, 
So we go to the mall and my mom's driving us to the mall. She's sitting in the back seat. And my mom said, I have to apologize. I keep staring at you through the, through the rear view. Cause she was like, you look like my Wendy. And my sister was like, that's okay. So I proceeded to show her off to the whole town. You know, I got to take her to school with me my senior year. I got to take her to school. I'm like, that's my sister. And you know, my other sister was there too, but this one looks like you couldn't say that, you know, people knew me since kindergarten. They said I was in a foster home, you know what I'm saying? So here I, here I show up with this sister who's cool, who looks like me, you know, who's, pretty and she has on these cool clothes she likes to dress up and so I was like ah now (laughs) I like me now you know what I'm saying so and then it went from there we bonded like this so she was a sophomore in college at an HBCU in North Carolina I was on my way to college to Virginia State in 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 Virginia and so we were close so we were just sisters from there. We did Freak Nick together. We did the okay. film together. Now, oh yeah, we did everything together. I mean, and so we were bonded from day one. Same sense of humor, pretty much almost same everything. So it was beautiful and, our, and her family and her mother and her adoptive side of the family they they welcomed me with open arms and then my side of the family they op- they welcomed her with open arms so it was really a great experience i just love hearing you tell the story about <laughs> seeing your sister meeting your sister for the first time because it feels so familiar like yeah. when i met my sister and it was like oh my god you look like that's my face that is yeah. me you stand like me you walk like me like yeah. it is such an indescribable feeling when you it see is. somebody for the first time who and and we are just a, a year and 11 days apart yeah we're both october babies and as we've grown older we're looking more alike mm-hmm. like we were just together in may and my mannerisms and our like we're we're aging and so we're getting these lot we're getting we're, we're aging and we're looking more alike which is hilarious because we've always looked alike but I think even when we were together in May we were kind of looking at each other like no we really do look alike and people even asked us if we were twins mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's funny it's it's for some reason it just we're, we're, we're morphing into each other it's just so, so so warm and <laughs> cuddly right to to be able to look into the face of another person I really appreciate hearing about your mother as well like doing that that stare because like make no mistake like it's it's beyond the adoptee Mm -hmm. it is about the up your friends family spouses whoever like it's like your boyfriend right Mm -hmm. all looking at this person like oh my god Mm -hmm. yeah they belong to you. It takes me back to, you know, even like with my children, looking at my siblings with confusion. Like, now wait just a minute. Yeah. This is you. This, okay. We, we don't even know like what's happening. So right. hearing this is just like, it impacts everybody it when does. a biological mm-hmm. sibling comes onto the scene. Yeah. But can you take us back a little yes. bit to what was your reaction or what was your feeling about knowing that your parents were still 
married? Like, how did that sit with you? What was the conversation like with your sibling about that fact? Well, because I was a, I was a teenager, I was just 18 years old. So I, I didn't really know what to think. I just thought, I just questioned why, but the answer came pretty quickly. So you know how they say, wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. So wait, there's more. So as we got to know each other and we decided to now reach out to our biological family together. And so now I got a, now I got a cut buddy. I got somebody to, to do this journey with me. And so she and I wrote the adoption agency together and said, can we meet, we, we would like to meet our family because you have to go through protocol. You got to write letters, you got to do these different things. And we came to know that we were given up in secrecy. We, we came to know that, we didn't know that before. So we came to know that and then my biological mother was notified that we had come out, pretty much been found and we're looking for her. And so she wasn't trying to be found pretty much at the end of the day. And so I feel like she must've, it must've just been causing her so much stress. So she called my, my adoptive mother and told my adoptive mother that she wasn't interested in connecting. And when she gave us up, she gave us up for a reason and it was causing so much trouble in her marriage her marriage had just started to smooth out. And so after all these years, and they just weren't interested. So I remember this day, like I was out hanging out with my boyfriend. I walked in the house singing and I, and I came into my mom's room and she's sitting on the bed. So imagine, you know, when you walk in the room and so, somebody died and somebody's on the phone and they're going, wait, 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 wait. Shh, shh. And I was like, what? So I, I, I listened to the rest of the story. And so she was like, well, Wendy's going to college now. And I think it would be helpful if you were to share this information with her yourself. So my mom was able to talk her into sharing this information with me and my sister. So in 1989, in April, May of 1989, we did a three-way call. It cost my mom like $100 at the end of the day, right? My sister was in North Carolina and me and my biological mother were in New Jersey. And we got on the phone with her. She agreed to it. And we got on the phone with her and we were just like, hey, because really we were grateful that she put us up for adoption. My sister had a great family. I had a great family. We had great experiences. We were going to college. My sister was in college. We were just living our lives as 18, 19 year olds. You know what I'm saying? Enjoying the nineties, right? So we didn't want anything. And I think that was what we wanted to make clear was that we didn't want anything. We just wanted to see people that look like us, ask some health questions maybe. And so we kind of tried to make her feel as much at ease as we could. And she told us a little bit of the history and why she was so adamant about not getting together. But really, I think she thought maybe at the end of the day that we were nice girls. So she agreed to come and meet us. So she and my biological dad agreed to come and meet us. And so we had to wait until my sister was out of college for the summer and she had to come up to New Jersey. And so I write about this in my book where my sister and I 
planted a, a, um, a video camera in the window so that we can see them when they pulled up. And so they were four hours late. So imagine us getting all, you know, gussied up because we're about to meet our family. Like we're gonna see what these people look like. And we actually waited in the middle of the street. My mom lives on a cul-de-sac. So we waited in the middle of the street for them to come, for, the, for like a car to come up the street. It never did. Then it started to get dark. Then we were starting to be like, maybe they're not coming. They didn't call. So then we kind of got defeated. And then all of a sudden, and my mom's block is like a small block. And we live in the cul-de-sac area. This big old camper slowly creeps up the street in the dark. And my mom had a whole bunch of big trees in the front yard. So we see this camper. We ain't never seen no camper come up the street like that. And then it does this K turn in the circle and then it comes and then it stops in front of my house and it's dark outside and the trees are kind of like covering it. And we're like, oh, maybe it's them. And then we had the camera in the window, but it was dark. So it wasn't gonna focus right. But I said it and my mom went off. She was like, that's against privacy. Take that camera out of the window. You, you can't do that, right? So then we were like, they, they never came. They never, they never got out of the car. They never opened the door. It was taking forever. We were like, what is going on? We didn't know to open the door. Should we peep? Are they here for us? Who was in this camper? And so in that time, I had a little tape recorder with a cassette. I stuck it in a plant in the living room, right? And then the door opened and then out of the dark crept this woman and a man and he was pretty much holding her up. And my mom's, my mom's walkway is pretty, is pretty long and they crept up that walkway and we stood in the window in the doorway like trying to see when they came out of those, you know, from the trees, they came through the trees. And I always thought as a little kid, I was going to look like my mother. So by the time they got where the light was shining, where the, you know, the light from the door was shining, I looked like him, my, my biological dad. And I didn't look like my mother. So it was like in a split second, they didn't even come in the house yet where I was like, my fantasy's blown again. I look like him. So they come, they sit, they talk. She's totally emotionally unavailable, probably scared, probably reliving all of these memories of having these two children back to back that she gave up for adoption. The dad was talking to us. He remembered our birthdays and he was asking questions and he said that we could come and visit and I showed her my picture book and my mom talked to them for a while, but she gave us privacy to talk. And then when they were leaving, the, the meeting maybe lasted an hour and a half. And um, they said that when I came back for Christmas and Aaron was on spring break for Christmas, that we could come back to New Jersey and have Christmas and be introduced to our, get this, four other siblings. So we had three, we had two older brothers, an older sister, and then we had a baby sister and baby was nine at that time. So we were hyped. 
we were like, yes, we're going to meet these people. We're going to meet our family. We're excited. We're going to college now, but when we come back, we're going to meet with y'all. And that was in 89. And we never heard anything else until 1991. So for two years, we didn't hear anything. We had a phone number, but they didn't answer if we called or whatever. So you know, then I was living my life, getting acclimated to college, doing college stuff. My sister was doing college stuff. So we kind of just let it ride until 91, when one of my friends from college, I was kind of telling the story and she happened to be from the same town that my biological family was from. And she knew my biological siblings. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, I forgot an important part. Um, the parent, our biological parents told us that we had an older brother that worked in the mall, in the local mall. So, you know, I rolled up to that mall and I was looking in every men's clothing store, right? Like the chess king, remember chess king? He was working in something like that, right? And so I scoured the mall with my then boyfriend. We scoured the mall and we didn't see him. And I was just defeated because I knew I was leaving to go to school the next day and I wasn't going to even get to see at least him before I left. And so um, we were walking out and all of a sudden my boyfriend pulls my arm back and he points and there goes this tall, lanky, look like me, had the Terrence Trent Darby hair. (laughs) (laughs) He was just bopping with like lunch back into the store right and he got behind the register and i just went in the store and i'm going through the racks like picture me like going through the racks trying to look at him at the cash register i'm like that's my brother like he's a mix between like maxwell terrence Trendarby, and me (laughs) okay so i'm like "Ooh, that's my brother but i knew because we had just met the parents like the week before they said they were going to introduce us there was no way I would go up to him and blow up the spot I thought there was a protocol that should be um adhered to so I didn't we didn't say anything but I got to see him and I was excited so I took that with me to college so then we flat fast forward to 91 didn't hear anything my girlfriend college friend grew up with them not being their friends, but just knowing who they were. They lived around the corner, you, you know the people. So she showed me them in her yearbook. They were already, you know, like she was a freshman, they were seniors and graduating and she showed me them in the yearbook and I got to see them for the first time. But then she told me that she knew a girl who knew my sister and she could get that girl to give my sister her phone number. Now I was, my sister and I were apprehensive because we were thinking maybe she didn't know and we never wanted to come in and disrupt we already realized we were secrets at this point so we didn't know if she if we were a secret from her too from the kids but we were thinking they're older than us their parents might not want a relationship with us but maybe our siblings did that was our hope but we still had enough like compassion as young kids and our parents and our our moms told us to just be easy breezy with it just let it unfold as it should and um, don't put too much pressure on anybody. So we did meet my sister, we did call her and she was blown away and she said she knew about us but she didn't really want to engage us because it hurt her mom. Whenever her mom talked about it, her mom did tell her. 
but whenever her mom told her it it hurt her and she is her mother's child and she wasn't going to inflict any unnecessary pain so we said cool we're not here to cause problems but we said can we come and meet you this was may of 91 we said can we come meet you and she said yes so we go to her house and she meets us and now my sister that I found and the new sister that we got, they look just alike. And so we're like, what the heck? So then my sister calls her brother, the one that I spied on two years before in the store. And she tells him to come over. He comes over and he has no idea. And he looks at us like, oh my God. So then we sat there, the four of us exchanging we all had like the Halle Berry cuts and like um, blonde color. Like we had similar things. We all had glasses. We all had like these fingers and like a line in your finger. Like who has the line in the finger? Who has like the, the twisted glasses? Is your, are our ears un, unleveled? Who had the extra pinky? Like these are the questions that we're saying. We all had extra pinkies. Those like unique things. And then we never heard from them again. So it was a lot over the years from 91, maybe off and on, maybe a little bit of contact in 98, maybe a little bit of contact here and there. But for the most part, we didn't have any true, real, sustainable contact until 2012. <laughs> if y'all can see Samantha's face. <laughs> Pregnant pause there, like everybody breathe. And I'm feeling the same way because I just hear this emotional roller coaster. I was already emotional when when the parents pulled up in the camper and didn't get out right away after you had been waiting all day, and it just took me back to memories of waiting on my daddy to come pick me up, and he don't ever show up. So there, there it is rejection. So yeah. it comes back to rejection, and so adoptees who meet their biological parents and they are not accepted, it's called the second rejection. And even with siblings, so not just with parents, but now your newfound siblings have also rejected you. Absolutely. Like, yes, you're young adults at that point, like you're still fairly young, but you don't just necessarily bounce back Absolutely. You don't have the faculties of, say, you know, a 30 year old who's had time to process this. Like you're in your early 20s. And there's no playbook for this. There's no rule book. There's no blueprint. And everybody's story is so unique and different that there is no blueprint. Can I ask about the sister who you were raised with? So yeah. As you're going through all of this and you've discovered this new sister who looks yes. just like you, she's so cool and she's the bomb and y'all are going on this journey together to find your family. How was your relationship with your younger sister? My younger sister and I didn't hang out together anyway. She hung out with her friends. So we were like besties for the resties when we were little kids um, going to visit our grandparents in the South, you know, every, every summer and every holiday. But as we got to high school and stuff, we just had total different friend groups and total different interests. So we didn't really hang out. So it's not like she, like she became a part of the, like the sister crew 
or my my new sister came a part of the sister crew. I just pretty much had somebody now who I can hang out with, who I had the same interests as. Um, and my sister being adopted too, she's still not to this day interested in finding her biological family. She's just not interested in it. So, you know, like I said, I found my people in this first wave of people in 89 and it was 2021, she's not interested. So she knows them and she's engaged with my siblings, but she hasn't, you know, like if my, if my mom's birthday, everybody come to my mom's house, my, my adoptive mom, you know, but other than that, that's it. Yeah, I was just curious if it caused a rift, like if she felt any jealousy or felt like she was being pushed out, like, oh man, you know, I had my sister and now she's found another if she did, she, real sister. Yeah, if she did, she never said it. So, and, and now we're, you know, we've grown even closer as we've gotten older. Mm -hmm. And so we have our own relationship, but I call her the original OG. Yes. <laughs> the original OG. And, and when we get a little bit further along in the story, I'll share another part about her, but we didn't get to that part yet. So you didn't took us through the 80s, the 90s. And I'm here for it because I feel like <laughs> I want to go watch some Mary J. Black. Like you are just giving me 90s vibes. I wish y'all could see the video, but everything, just your voice and your manner, like I am, I am back into my life out. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. Yes. So we're gonna get into the 2K12. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What happens in 2012 that, that brings another twist to okay. this? Okay. 2012, my sister is pushing a cart in Bed Bath and Beyond. And she bumps into my biological mother and biological sister. And right. my biological mother is ready to talk. She's been through therapy some and she was raised I guess Roman Catholic and so she was taught that she was condemned for giving up her baby mm. so my sister was just like that's not how we feel though like we're good we're grateful you went through the process of being pregnant by that point we both had our children and we were just like you know we appreciate and understand that you went through this whole pregnancy twice. You know, you, you gave us up to give us a better home. That's what adoption is usually supposed to be, right? So she apologized and she said she wanted to form a relationship with us. So for a really short time there in 2012, like I came up and we had Thanksgiving together. We did Easter together. That's when Scandal was on. So we used to be like, um, what were what, what gladiators? Yeah, yeah. So me and my sister that I found first, and then my biological mom, we used to text each other with our wine and stuff and watch Scandal together. So that was cool. And we tried to let her know that we didn't have any ill will, that we wanted her to get therapy if she was open to it. One time she said that we can ask her anything. So I just said, are there any more? And she said, no. And I asked a lot of questions. I was, cause I'm a Scorpio. So the Scorpios are like the investigators of all the Zodiac signs. 
And so I'm always asking questions. My mom says I'm nosy, but I just like to know the details. So I asked her that in front of everybody, like me, my sister that I found in 89, and my two sisters, the baby who was nine back in the 80s, she's now however old she is in her 30s. And my older sister, the one from 91, who we didn't see and hear from anymore, we're all in the room, we're cooking together and I'm asking the questions and are there any more? Everybody goes like E.F. Hutton, doo -doo 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 -doo. she says, no, we like, cool, we good with us. It's four, four girls, two boys, we're good. And so time went on and then I started to create my selected, not expected brand because I felt like my adoptive mom did private adoptions and they were always looking for black and brown parents because people would go to all these different countries to get these babies and all these black babies were here. And so I wanted to give a story of a good adoption, a, a, a story of a woman, me, who had a great family, who thrived in this adoption scenario. And so I created the Selected Not Expected. I created clothing, especially if they were babies. Like I had little Selected Not Expected onesies with beautiful little black babies on them. I wanted to be an advocate to adopt black and brown babies. And my family, and I didn't tell the details, like the, the dirty, dirty. I didn't tell any of those things, but I started to blog about my feelings and I think that my biological family at that time wasn't open to me sharing that information. So then again, we didn't talk anymore. So we talked from probably 2012. And then in 2017, when I started this brand and blogging, they just didn't talk. So now this is the biological parents. These are the two sisters who grew up in the family. So then it was just back to me and my one sister again. So we kind of had gotten used to it, but we were hoping that we had changed. And because I had done all the people pleasing things, you know, I'm trying, you know, I, I did it. I found her, my God, her, she's here. She wants to watch Scandal. And then they don't. So there was rejection there again. But by this point, I realized it wasn't me. You know, I, you know, I didn't internalize it. I had more tools. I had more therapy up to that point. You know, I had more support. Both my sister and I were evolving together, emotional evolution, spiritual evolution. So we kind of just were like, there's no more shucking and jiving than I can do to make you like me. Either you do or you don't. Then comes August, August 10th, 2017. So now we're disconnected from them. I'm sitting at my desk, minding my business on Facebook. Supposed to be working, right? <laughs> so we've I'm gone on the technology. We've gone from waiting on letters in the mail. That's now right. we've gone to yeah. Facebook. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook and I'm in this cubicle, right? And all these people. So I, I worked at an entertainment, like a, a, a studio. And so, you know, it's like open, TVs are on and all these things, right? And so I'm on Facebook and then the messenger pops up and then there's a name that I don't know. So I'm like, somebody done tried to slide in the DMs, right? And then, you know, if you look at it, it'll do a read receipt. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't necessarily trying to really look at it, but I just looked at it. And the, the, the DM said in Facebook, 
hi, my name is whatever. I was born in, in New Jersey in the same town I was. And I did the 23andMe test and it says that you are my sister. Mm. Look, me and my twin would like to meet you or connect with you. Please look at your 23andMe and see what you come up with. So I did 23andMe in 2012 and I was getting hits from like fourth, third, fourth cousins, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe a first cousin or here and there, but because I did not have a connection with my biological family, I did not try to really explore those because I did not know what the deal was. So still I had integrity in the process of not trying to blow up the spots. Mm -hmm. As rejected as I felt, and I still got that Scorpio energy that'd be like, ha ha, I didn't invoke that spirit. I just let it ride. So I'm in my cubicle thinking I'm getting punked or pranked. I'm looking at this message with my phone in my hand and I'm going, where are the cameras? Cause surely I'm getting punked, surely. And so I called my sister, you know, my, my ride or die sister. And I'm like, yo, and I read it to her. Now she's at the beach. She got bad reception. Like She's with her friends, you know, she's like, what? So I read it and he said, and we looked at him. So, you know, we on Facebook looking at the pictures, looking at his face, he sent a few. I'm like, that's my brother. Like we look alike, that's my brother. And so we called him. So I know I run outside and I call my mom. I'm like, mom, this is what's happening. And she said, well, look like you just got more people to love. And so we, we planned to call. So we called in like five minutes, like 10 minutes, right? We got on the phone with him and we're like, oh my God, our brother. And so now we have this whole history of what has happened to us trying to connect with this family. So I didn't want him to think, oh, I found these people and we gonna just meet everybody. I wanted him to be really careful of his emotions and his feelings because you could tell he was hyped. And me and my other sisters, we OGs to this. We've been doing, look, we've been doing this since 89. Right. It's, it's 2017, you late to the game, right? <laughs> we've been on this roller coaster a few times. So we, we, he was excited and we were excited. And then he introduced us to our sister. So he said, text her. And he showed us her picture. She looked just like my sister in the eighties, you know, like the, the silver lipstick with the, the black outline with like the long hair. And we kind of have <laughs> eyes. So they kind of look a little, like they got some Asian in their family, but we don't like, <laughs> that's kind of how they look. And we were so excited. So we texted her and we texted her a picture of us from back in the day. And I said, hi, little sister. We are your big sisters. We can't wait to meet you. And then we just all, acted crazy for like the next few and we got on we got on Skype that night all of our families got on my you know my siblings are married with children and so everybody was on Skype for like four hours to like two o'clock in the morning we couldn't do anything like the next day at work we were all tripping we we created a group me so now we're just sending pictures and talking like nobody got work done for like a week 
Okay. We were hyped. We were hyped. And so we, we were sharing our experiences because they were like, you gotta introduce us. And we were like, well, I don't think it's that easy. So we asked them to get their original birth certificates, to get a picture of themselves, to get those non-identifying information and write a letter to the parents and mail it to them. That was the best way because I was not going to be calling those people and saying, we found some more, you're cheering. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing that. And remember when I got to ask anything I wanted, I asked, are there any more? And the answer was no. And everybody heard it. So I didn't know what kind of Wahala created all this. And, it, and then I knew at that point, it wasn't my story. It wasn't my problem. It wasn't for me to fix. And it wasn't for me to zhuzh and try to make better. Cause I, it wasn't me. I'm a casualty just like all of them were. And not really casualty because they grew up in, so our, ki our, our twins grew up in a beautiful home. Their parents are still loving. They grew up in Texas. So they got the hug your neck, hospitality, come on down, everybody gone, love you mentality, right? And so my sister and I, this was August 10th of 2017. By Thanksgiving, my sister and I went down and it was totally that like, well, let me see, October, they came to my house first in DC and we had shirts called, we call ourselves the Sibs. So we had shirts and then like, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm in a sorority. So I put our line numbers on the back. My sister was, <laughs> my sister was four, I'm five. The twins are six and seven, right? I had to um, meet the Sibs on the rooftop at this party place down here. And all of my friends came to meet my sibs. Everybody came. It was so fun. So then we recreated that with the four of us. We recreated it in Texas. And so can you imagine my, you know, they are very hospitable people. They got people from kindergarten who came to see us. Mm -hmm. They got old people, young people. There were so many people for Thanksgiving that like you would be like, I remember being in the kitchen, scooping out some mac and cheese, but turned around and everybody's staring at me. Like, you know, like everybody was trying not to stare, but was staring and they want to come and hug you. And then my sisters and my siblings had read my selected, not expected blog. So then people kind of, I was like the friend in their head. So they would come up and say stuff to me, you know, because they read my blog and they felt like they knew who I was. And, and when my brother that night, he found me on 23andMe, my name came up, they Googled it, it's a pretty unique name. He found my blog and they read my whole blog that night. So my sister was like, if she's gotta be my sister, if she ain't my sister, I want her to be my sister, you know what I mean? I love it. So it was so fun, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming with love though, because everybody and her parents, now we call them Papa and Tia too, like, we're all close. And so that was 2017. And then slowly and surely we integrated our other siblings because now they had to understand that their parents also did not tell them the truth. And so that's painful. And so we kind of um, tried to mend these relationships to have these new people come in and try to start fresh again. 
And so I allowed that. I allowed that. I put my boundaries down and my feelings away to try to start again for like the 12th iteration to try to have this family. But our new siblings, our twins, they're so loving that they have been a, a beautiful bridge. It, you know, it has been clunky at times, but it has been a beautiful bridge for us to be together. And then we fast forward to 2019 of January. When, so now we've hung out, they've been here, I've been there, we've done Jersey together. Good old time, right? January, 2019, I'm sitting on the couch, minding my business, and my sister, one of the twins, calls and says, check your 23 and me. I'm getting ready to throw this mic. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Check your 23 and me. <laughs> so this is January 2019. And we had just come from my sister, my, my, my oldest sister's 50th birthday party. She wanted to go to Paris. She didn't make it. All of us sisters dressed up in a black little chapeau with a little um, red bandana with black and white striped pajamas. And we were just together, seriously, in New Jersey, seriously, a week later, two weeks later, check your 23andMe. So my sister said that there is someone in 23andMe and it says that they are our sister. So we're trying to figure out what to do now because we have already kind of mended our relationships and we've mended the relationships with the siblings who kind of live there and who have really received the most trauma from this because they grew up with their life not being what they thought it was because they were little when their parents were having babies and giving them away. So they didn't know. They might've had a few memories or maybe they blocked out some memories, but here is where we are. And so, so it's me and my, my 89 sister and then this twin sister and we're on the phone, the three of us, and we're like, yo, what are we gonna do? So the, the sister found us. She reached out to us and said, I think you're my sister. I am your half sister. We, we have the same dad. Oh. So we had the same dad. She's older than all of us. Mm. She's older than all of us. Mm. So we get on a four way with her. We get on um, like Skype with her. So there's four of us. So as we're talking and we're sharing, oh, we just met the twins in 2017. We did the searches in 89. My sister and I got together in 89. We're giving her the chronological order. She's older than all of us. So now we're connected. And so we're, we're all on our computers, like Googling, trying to find stuff. And as we're on this phone, no lie, she, so her daughters bought her the, the, the 23 Me for Christmas and it came back just that fast. And she was scared. She didn't want to call us. Her daughters are grown and um, in their thirties and they were like, mom, do it. Or we going to do it. Mm. Reach out. So she reached out. So here we are on the phone. As we're on the phone, the four of us, she says, well, who is, I'm getting this other hit. So my other sister is on her 23 Me, and she was like, I'm not getting that hit. She said, refresh the page. 
she refreshed the page, there is an entire other, a whole new baby girl. Stop. Full-blooded sister that we found that same day. What is the, at this point, I'm like, what is the body count? Okay, like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? How many children are, are we talking about? There are nine full-blooded, nine full, no, there are, there are nine full-blooded and our older sister who's half, but we don't say she's half. Right, right. So there's 10, 10 of us. 10. So, so the interesting thing is the name comes up in 23andMe. Like, you know, you can Google. So I Google the name and the girl is from the hometown that is across the street from where I grew up in New Jersey. Mm. She's 10 years younger than me or nine years younger than me. So I didn't know her. So now we're all tripping like, oh, so now it's like, we got to tell our siblings. So now where before we weren't interested in sharing the information because it wasn't our story to tell, we wanted to kind of as siblings come together to support our siblings who grew up there and tell them, this is what it is. You might want to ask your parents. They have already not told you nothing for 50 years, but maybe they'll say something now and whatever. So we emailed my, the sister that connected to this person. She emailed her and said, we connected. There are a lot of us, we would like to meet you or like to connect with you. So all of us were up at six o'clock in the morning because we all couldn't sleep. We were up at six o'clock in the morning, the four of us sisters going, did she respond yet? Did she respond yet? And finally she responded. And when we saw her picture, she is the doppelganger of our biological mother. She's her doppelganger. So when we finally, like we sent pictures, you know, not now we in the 2020, the 2019, so we can just text a picture and everybody can be in the group text. We see her, but later that day we got on Skype and I think we all went, can't nobody say she ain't ours. She is the doppelganger. So out of like the 10 kids, five look like one parent and the other five look like the other parent. So we've just been working together. Sometimes everybody works together, sometimes they don't on trying to build a sibling relationship versus trying to make these parents speak on what happened. So we've moved past that. I mean, many of us have, even the ones who have moved there in their own way, it's been really painful for them to not have answers and to not have like, how come my aunts didn't tell me? How come my cousin didn't sneak tell me? You know, like sometimes kids like sneak tell all the business. It didn't happen in this case. And so the siblings that four grew up there and six did not grow up there. That's pretty much what the body count looks like. Six of us were given away. Five of us were given away in secrecy and adoption. One was, you know, not, was a half sister. And then the oldest child grew up there. So <clears throat> we range in age from like 55 to 42. And, and we're pretty much all stair steps, like 10 months apart, a year and 11 days apart, uh, 15 months apart, 
you know, it kind of goes stair step, but we just, we just gathered in Texas like two weeks ago, just a part of our healing, just a part of our gathering to try to work on some issues and just have fun, you know, cause you can't be working on issues all the time. Sometimes you just gotta have fun. So we did our best to, to do all of that and we will continue to do it as we just all evolve. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm so like just pulled into your story, but in, in all honesty, I'm also thinking about your birth mother. I'm trying, and you're a mother, I'm trying to wrap my head around- The trauma. The, the trauma. My mentor told me that she probably, the trauma has not been addressed because there is no blueprint for that. Like, I don't know anybody else who has done, who has experienced this and who has had to make these decisions may not have told people. Cause you know, like we were, I, I was like, do we need to be on Iyanla? Like what, what do we need to do to get some healing? Because I believe that in, in, in our own ways, all 10 of us feel traumatized in some way, even though we were, four of us were raised in really great homes and loving parents. Um, but still, you know, it's a nature versus nurture thing. Those epigenetics don't just go away. The feelings and the imprints in our souls and in our hearts and in our genes does not go away until you detox it away. You have to be intentional about releasing it, but you don't know what to release until you can identify what needs to be released. So that's where we are. And we're all at different levels of the releasing and the acceptance and the healing. And so I, I know a hundred percent that we all wish that for our biological mom. We wish her peace and happiness and joy and um, basking in knowing that you have all your children together, but we can't want that for her more than she wants it for herself. So my mentor told me she probably is unable, she's probably so blocked, she's probably even unable to utter it because once it starts to come out, she may not make it. She might implode. Because so, when you asked her directly, there was no way that she could go on to say how many more. Well, I, I, I felt badly because I felt like that was her out right then. She could have freed herself right there because she said, ask me anything. Mm -hmm. She could have said, well, there were, there were four more, three more, twins even. Mm -hmm. But she, she didn't. And I feel bad that she didn't feel safe enough to, to say it then because I felt like that might have just released everything and, you know, but it's unfolding the way it has unfolded and, you know, it, it has gotten better as the time has gone on. Like our last trip, we had a ball. We've been to Atlantic City together as a group. We take pictures. Everybody got the Sib shirts. We line up. With y'all. I want an honorary Sibs shirt. Yep. Like, I just, we call ourselves the Sibs Nation now because it's a wreck of us when we say the Sibs Nation. That's like our hashtag, the Sibs Nation. That's our that's the name of our group me group too. <laughs> yeah. And we all pretty much look alike. So it's really interesting to uh 
even us, like, you know, everybody looks alike. And, and I'm not used to that because that's not how I grew up. So I was talking to my, my adoptive mom, my mom, I don't even call her my adoptive mom. That's just my mom. And she was like, well, well, Wendy, that's how people and families are. But I didn't grow up that way. You know, she grew up with people who all looked alike. Most people, if they grew up in their biological families, they look like people. So like, you know, now that we're in this iteration of this group of people, my niece looks like my sister. My other niece looks just like my brother. That looks like his child. It's the craziest thing how the genes kind of just go to different people. And so we've been enjoying that. You know, we've been enjoying that. We've been enjoying embracing more nieces. I got 13 nieces and nephews now. I got one that's a nurse that helped, that helped me navigate a, a health issue. I got one that's a lawyer. I got one that's a doula. My, my daughter just graduated high school on Friday. All her aunties and uncles watched it on the Zoom and sent her cash apps. You know, like we're, we are kind of coming together. Everybody's birthdays are like a week apart. There's a chunk in May, there's a chunk in October, there's a chunk in December. So we've been able to celebrate together. So we're moving forward as the Sibs Nation. The parents will have to deal with their trauma. We send them the best of everything. We pray for them. You know, another interesting thing is my biological dad, when I did connect with him in, in 2012, he did a DNA test for me, the African ancestry test. So I did African ancestry myself when I didn't have any connection to the biological family. And on the maternal side, it came up Cameroon. Because I, you know, as adoptees, we kind of feel like we're floating out there until we can find somebody that looks like us. I was like, I feel like a astronaut floating in space. I have all these, this structure here, but nobody has my fingernails. Nobody has my cheekbones. Like I felt a little disconnected. So I went to Cameroon because I wanted to feel even that kind of connection. But, and then, in, and that was in 2015. And then in 2013, once I met him and was telling him about my story and all that, he did the test for me too. He did his maternal side and he did his paternal side. The maternal side came up to Sierra Leone. Just last month from his DNA, I was able to go to Sierra Leone and get my citizenship. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so I'm the one who's here to like, fill in the gaps and to bridge it all together. I'm the five. I'm really like the six out of the 10. I'm in the middle. And I feel like I'm the bridge. Like I'm the one who initiated it. It, uh, you know, it wasn't always like the cool place to be to have initiated this kind of thing because people were angry, mm -hmm. but it has turned around now. And, I've, and now there's more people to help to increase the bond. Everybody has their part. Every sibling has their own part to bring, you know, abundant spirit and, and good health and, you know, good attitude and those things to the group. Everybody has to do it for themselves now. We 40, 50 years old. So that's where we are. And hopefully we'll go to Sierra Leone at some point and build a compound and get out of here if we have to have the option. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blazing the trail. Like, come on, y'all. We getting out of here. We got to. You are. Well, we talked about your birth parents 
potential healing and the desire for them to heal. Talk to Absolutely. us a little bit about your healing and your work as a healer, you know, through Goddess Awakening and the Healing Sanctuary. So I got certified in integrative nutrition when I was having these fibroids. I've had fibroids, I've had bad periods all my life. And as I've studied them and got to know more of the spiritual aspect of them versus just the doctor say you need a hysterectomy. They say that trauma is passed from mother to mother to mother through the womb. It's stagnant energy, it's fear, it's all these different things. So I began to take a, a holistic spiritual approach to you know, my fibroids. And that's how I got on this path of the, the goddess awakening and healing. And I'm a healer, but I'm a healer to myself. I teach people that they are their own healers. The healer is always in the mirror. So I call myself the mirror guide. Like I direct you back to yourself, back to yourself. There are no gurus. There are no, you know, people might have a little bit more information than you, but I think any healer who's worth their healing salt will always direct you back to your own powers. So that's what I do in the Goddess Awakening and Healing Sanctuary. I have a radio show called The Sanctuary Radio Show where I talk about all things healing for black people and black families. I feel like if you can heal a woman, you can heal a nation. I feel like if you know where you came from, if you identify it, you can start working on it. You don't have, you know, you ain't gonna be healing forever, but I feel like specifically being an adoptee you know, there's things that we don't know. There's energies we don't know. Our ancestors still live in us. You know, you are seven generations back of DNA of those people and all their experiences. And so I am, have seven generations back and then I can change the trajectory of what happens seven generations out. So I have a daughter. You know, I want better for her emotionally, spiritually than I had for myself. I had all the other things, good family and all that, but the emotional toll, the spiritual toll. So that's what I work with women on. And that's what I talk about in my podcast and in my book. I talk about a lot of this stuff in my book from Jersey to me. So like I'm from Jersey, but like, who am I really? What I love most and what is really helping the healing along is that I'm connecting with these biological siblings and now the nature part is more prominent. Like we are all silly and crazy. We have the same senses of humor. Some of us have the same laugh. We have the same build, some of us, same hair, some of us. Like it is just really funny to be 50 years old and to be having these new experiences like as if I was a child. And that goes a lot for the healing and for putting the pieces of the puzzle together to help me kind of like figure out who I am, but I'm always going to be evolving. And now I got nine siblings in my corner. So anybody want to step up? <laughs> you know, with the nation. Got to deal with the nation. Yep. I, I mean, you've said... <laughs> Everything you said so much, like this story could be a movie, should be a movie. I want to see it. I think the yeah. takeaway for me is focusing on what you can 
build in the now. So building this relationship with your siblings. So not focusing so much on will our parents ever admit to the truth? Yeah. Why didn't they admit to the truth? But it's like, nope, we got our siblings. We got, you know, the divine, divine 10. I was gonna say divine nine. We got the divine 10 and building something really beautiful from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's our, that's our goal. And you know, it's, it is really exciting. I always said like, it's, this is almost my dream. Cause when I was little, I was like, I wish I had a whole bunch of siblings. Like the, there were many families in my town that I grew up in on the Jersey shore who it was like the Johnsons, it's a hundred of them. They all look alike the, you know, there was a singing family who all of them looked alike at the church and they all sang and there's all these people. And I'd be like, dang, I wish I had that. So even when I was with them in May, I could turn around and kind of like key key to myself, like these are my siblings, you know, like when we walk in a room, people are like, who are y'all? You know, like it, it is still surreal to all of us and it's funny and it's fun. And I think, you know, the best is yet to come for us really. And once more healing happens, there may be a movie or a book or something, but we still have to get through the healing first. 100%. But Wendy, we just want to thank you for not only going black to the beginning, but taking us from the 80s to the 90s (laughs) to present day. It was a fantastic ride. Like I'm still... Wow, you know, with with this story, it has been most entertaining, I will say. So thank you so much. We appreciate you. And we look forward to hearing how your continued healing journey is going, but also with that of your siblings. And we pray that your biological parents will at some point be able to get just an ounce of the healing that you all have experienced just by even connecting with each other in this way. So yes, thank, thank you. We received that. We received that good word. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, Follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, the Black adoption conversation is the Black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going for the culture.